Thank you for joining us for Positively Dad. It's a Dad Talk episode today. My name is James Shaw. I'm your host. You know, Positively Dad started earlier this year as a resource for dads. That's my goal. I'm a dad of a seven-year-old. My wife, Terry, and I have a daughter named Naomi. And I started Positively Dad just as a way to for me to grow and learn and, and get better as a husband and as a father and uh, just as a man. And so every week we do two podcast episodes. Now, one comes out every Monday where we talk to an expert about something or, or someone who's got, you know, something that we need to think about as parents that's going to help us grow and get better. And then every Thursday, I do a dad talk episode, which is what you're listening to right now. And that's where I find a dad somewhere around the world, and we talk about being a dad. And I'm very excited about today, because today we're going to talk to a dad who is fostering, and yet his story is one that will blow you away. In fact, when you hear his story, you'll understand exactly why he's chosen to be a foster dad. Now, he's also single, so he's a single dad that's, a, that's raising foster children, and he's going through an adoption with his son, and uh, it's just a, a really fascinating story listening to this gentleman's journey, and so I'm excited to have him on today. His name is Peter Habiera Amana, and he grew up uh, in Uganda, now lives in the United States, and you know what? When you listen to him today, you're going to realize that you probably got it pretty good, because chances are you didn't go through anything he went through. And then you'll hear how it's come full circle and how he's really, you know, paying forward what he, the gift that he was given as a young child as well. So let's jump in and listen to this dad's story and also about fostering and see what we can learn from him. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on this Dad Talk episode of Positively Dad. Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm great to join uh, you on the, uh, as we, you know, hear the stories uh, about the positive dads for sure. Yes, well, I appreciate it. And I found you on Instagram and was blown away by you. And as I've learned about you, I mean, you've got an amazing story. So I, if you would, would you just tell us a little bit, catch our listeners up a little bit about your story, because your life started out more difficult than probably anyone who's listening to this could ever imagine. Tell us about it. Yes, absolutely. You know, so well, I grew up in Africa. So you know, life was really difficult, you know. So uh, I grew up, you know, among the poor of the poorest in the world, you know. So I, I didn't have a pair of shoes until when I was, I think, 16. You know, I didn't have another, you know, a clothes like, you know, the, the regular kids w w would have. You know, I really never had a childhood as well. You know, so I had poverty on one side, but on, on the other side also I had, a, you know, an abusive dad. So life wasn't really something that I wanted to, to see, you know, so if someone told me, hey, you know, wh wh what would you like to be in future? I mean, most of the time I didn't want to know the future, you know, because mm -hmm. it was really, really difficult, you know, the poverty and the abuse, you just didn't want to see the next day. Well, so, you know, so at the age of 10, I could not take the abuse anymore. So I decided to run away from home. So run away and uh, went about 500 kilometers and I ended up in capital city Kampala and I became a street kid so from the age of 10 to 15 you know uh you know and you were just kid. so for, at age 10 uh, I want to stop there for just a second because you what you told me was at age 10 your father had asked you to go out and get some cigarettes is that right oh uh, yes but you know I mean he, he was mean and abusive in every shape form so I went to get cigarettes uh, for him, but he had rained. So I think, you know, they got wet and got destroyed. So I knew he was going to take my life. I knew he was, I mean, like, I, I could not 
deal with it. So I decided to basically say, you know, rather than go back home, you know, I chose to, to go on the bus. I had never been 10 miles away from my village. You know, mm-hmm. I went to the bus and asked the lady, hey, you know, which bus goes the farthest? And I, all I wanted to know was, how far can I go? You know, how far can I run that he would never get to see me again? Mm-hmm. And that's how I ran away as a you know, 10-year-old, um, uh, you know, running away from really the abuse for sure. And you, I mean, if I remember what you told me, you did not have shoes yet. You didn't get a pair of shoes till you're 16. So you're barefoot. You've got every ounce of clothing you own, you're wearing, and you hop on this bus and go like 500 kilometers away just to get away. You just had to get away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't even have clothes. I remember I had a pair of shorts I was wearing, and I had a, a, a T-shirt and a sweater. That's it. I didn't have shoes. I had nothing at all. You know, uh, you know, in Africa, you know, it's really difficult to have a pair of clothes. So in most, most, in most cases, most kids have just one pair or two pairs in uniform. So that's all I had. Yeah. You know, so I, I took off and I never looked back. Uh, so you're you know. 10 years old and you start living on the streets in a city in Uganda and you had to figure out how to survive. Oh, well, absolutely. You know, back in Africa, we, you know, we don't beg, you know, for money. You know, most people don't make a dollar a day. It's, it's hard to beg for money, you know, but we were always productive. Like I grew up in a home where I had to work so hard, you know, so I knew that I had to do something. I had to be productive you know, in some way so you can earn to be on the street, you know. Uh, think about it. It's like if they need cleaners, we clean for them. If they needed someone to lift things from one end to the other, we would do that for them. Or some nights we'll guard, you know, most of the produce that came in that night. So in some way, you know, it was easier to, to steal, I would say, food when you're helping others, that you are productive. But also, you know, you're providing cheap labor for people. Uh, that that's how we, we survived as street kids. And, and we had a system. So basically, I would pick up bananas and the next kid will look for potatoes. The next one will look for uh, tomatoes. The next one will look for most things that we can roast, like sweet potatoes as well. You know, and at the end of the day, we would gather and then sit under the bridge or under the tree and eat our food. And that's how we survived. Yeah. So you met other kids who were doing the same thing and that's how you survived basically out there. And then you you told me that you in, there ended up being a family that you kind of got to know and you basically knew when they were coming, knew what their car was, and you went specifically to kind of help them. And that completely changed your life. Yes, absolutely. As I said, you know, for kids, you know, we, we learned how to work. We always help people. So in some way, I helped this family. You know, instead of, you know, maybe stealing it, so they decided to give me food before I can take it. You know, so I go to really know them. And finally, they, they, they you know, uh, after a year and a half, I think they said, hey, Peter, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you like to go to school? And I was like, really? Seriously? I mean, I had my own dad who could not feed me. You know, how can a stranger who doesn't know where I come from want to send me to school, you know? But also going to school is a privilege in Africa that, not every family can afford to send their kids because most of it is private. So when he said, I was, you know, I'll go to school, I was like, well, but I can't afford it. But you don't know me, so why would you? But sure enough, because they had provided for me a meal, you know, for a year and a half, and somewhere I had grown to trust them. So finally I said, sure, you know, so that's how I went to school. And somehow, and, and when I went to school, he promised there would be food. So for me, I went to school for food. I don't think I went there to be anybody, you know. 
there's no one educated in my in my family that I really thought I would want to be like. You know, but for me, the mention of food is what really, in some way, excites me to to go to school. And it was a boarding school as well, so that's really what got me uh, to enjoy school and be there. It wasn't the schooling really; it was just that they could provide a meal that I never had before. Right. Well, and that led to so many other opportunities, right? You ended up what studying in the UK. You studied in the United States. I mean, it just led to a lot of opportunities for you. Absolutely. You know, so. I, you know, I knew he had really seen a potential in me that nobody else had seen in me, you know, but for me too, that I realized that I, could, you know, I had a potential, but also that I was smart enough to to do as the rest of the kids did. And in some way uh, that really encouraged me to, to do well. And also he became my, in some way, like a standard of living. He, he, he was very educated. He had a good family, you know, so in some way he became my idol. You know, and I did well in school because he'd set an example for me. Uh, and that's how I did well at university. But I think also I felt like, you know, this stranger, he didn't know who I was. But he really fed me and put me in school. The best I can do is really to honor him and make him proud. Yeah. You know, so I, I did well in school. I went to school in Uganda and then I went to England and I went to uh, United States as well. And so... Now, I mean, you look back at that and I mean, I imagine that you have some memories that are sad and and heartbreaking and awful. And yet it sounds like to me, you have a lot of gratitude, too. Well, absolutely. I think for me, you know, uh, yeah, most people, we, we tend to use our past to hold on things or hold grudge or be bitter about life. But I think for me, I saw it as an opportunity to do better in life, you know, that I didn't want my past to define me. I didn't want the hatred towards my dad to define what my future would be, you know? And in some way, I felt if I failed, I'm making him happy. It's almost what he wanted. So for me, failing was giving in for what he's always wanted. So in some way, uh, for me, I chose to use the past, all my worst. I, you know, I've never for sure uh, wish any child to go through what I went through. But at the same time, like, I cannot... I wouldn't want to change my life because it made me who I am and it's given me a potential to, to see life in a different way and, and love others. You know, yes, I'm a force of that, but in some way I think, uh, you know, I, I, it's easy to see the opportunity you have uh, and to see the past, to use it as a stage uh, to do uh, the best you can do in life. Yeah. Have you seen or talked to your family since that day when you were 10 years old and you ran away? Well, I didn't go back until six or seven years later. You know, I loved my dad. I'm the oldest of five. So I really wanted them to have the opportunity that I had. So, you know, in Africa, we tend to really look after one another. But also as the oldest male, usually, you know, you're kind of, uh, everyone, you're an example in some way to, to the rest of the kids. And I wanted my siblings to get what had been given. So I wanted them to go to school. So I actually went back, you know, and, you know, I really helped my all my siblings, four of them, have gone through university. Um, you know, not because we could do, but I think because someone helped me, I wanted to help them as well. But because right. they saw me do well in life as well, I think I became more of an example for them to say, you know, if Peter can do it, we can do it as well, you know? Peter, you this has become your mission now, helping people and being an example. I mean, if you take this and you fast forward... 
to to now you, the other story of you is being a, a a foster parent as as a as a single dad and and what it's been like for you in that tell us a little bit about that part of your story so when i came to the united states you know again i come from the poor of the poorest i was amazed at the wealth in the united states you know and then as i got to really know i realized like wait there are kids who are in our communities that have no place to be, have no, like nobody knows anything about them and, and they're helpless in some. And I felt so, you know, like how, how, you know, I think for me, you know, what's that verse in Luke? I looked for uh, too much is given, much is required. Man, I, for me, I was like, if God can give me all this, if I can be provided this way, I have to do it to someone else. But I think for me too, you know, that I always wanted to do what someone did for me, that I could not turn a blind eye to know that there were kids in the community that didn't have a mom, didn't have anywhere to go. And, you know, the, the, the foster care system is overloaded with kids that they, they lack foster parents. And I thought, you know, the least I can do is to say, I want to help one. And so that's really been a joy. I've had 11 kids, and I'm going through the adoption of my oldest at the moment. So it's been a joy, yes. Absolutely difficult as a single dad, but man, for where they come from, for what they've gone through, they just need to be loved, you know, and be given a little glimpse of hope and and simple things like shelter that most of them they don't have, food, you know, a place to count uh, on the hay. I'm gonna go to school, but when I get home, there'll be food. Uh, mm. Is what I wanted to do for others as well. Wow. So talk, what have you learned the most in, you know, in this time that you've fostered 11 and now you're, you're adopting your son? Tell us just what have you learned? Ooh, wow. You know, he's one of blonde that never judge. You know, I think it's easy for, to be an outsider and say, you know, how do kids get in the forces and you know how? What's wrong with their parents? But, you know, to never judge. Uh, that some kids are there just because of the cycle their parents went through. It's it's the policy that think of getting a child at 14 and no one ever told you anything about how to raise a child or even work in order to feed your baby. How how do you start that? So I think for me, I've relearned that you know we can't judge until we know. But also on the other side, just to know as a single dad, as a single guy, um, you know that. Yes, I could choose to have a house with empty bedrooms, but man, uh, that I can be there for someone else that needs it, it is, is a joy. Yes, it's hard, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, it's another little human being that you can, you can say, hey, it's okay, it's okay, I'm here for you while I wait for your mom and dad to get, you know, to get themselves, you know, <laughs> back together that you have a home, you have a place to, to call home. So that's what I've learned that, you know, we, we can't judge people. But also, I think they've taught me, you know, some people say, hey, man, those kids are lucky to have you. But in, in most cases, I feel like I'm the one lucky mm. uh, to have them. But they have told me, you know, humility. You know, they've told me, you know, that I had potential too, that I didn't know I could be a dad uh, in some way that has been really a uh, joy to know about myself. It's like it's come f full circle, right? This is what this family did for you, and now you're paying it forward. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I don't think even if just the 
someone did for me, but just having passion for others, you know, knowing that, you know, these little kids did not choose to be born in those farmers. These little kids, they didn't choose to be born in drug addicts or drunks or abusive parents. No, you know, they happen to be there. You know, and it's our joy and it's our responsibility as well to say, hey, you know, we can step in uh, when things aren't going well. We have people who step in for us. We've got family. We have, you know, some people are married, they have spouses and, you know, they can step in. But for these kids, they have nobody. And in some way, feeling that I was changing the life uh, of another child uh, is worth uh, every every penny. Yeah. What's it like to do this by yourself? Ooh, that's really, really difficult, you know. You know, it, you cannot go to the grocery store by yourself. You've got to take them, no matter the tone from they're going to throw there. You know, to learn how to, to you know, I, I, I didn't know how to multitask, but now I think I've mastered how to, to do laundry and do cleaning and preparing food all at the same time, you know. Uh, it, it's amazing what we are capable of doing when we when we have a situation ahead of us. So it's it's it's, it's really been a a joy, and it's we can do. You, you know, we don't. We, I realize that we we all can't not be foster parents. I realize that you know some of us are just have the heart to do so. Men, you know, can you give? Can you be a mentor? You know. Can you can you help even a foster parent who needs uh, just someone to mow their their mow? That's it, or a pizza for a day. You know that you learn about your friends. That you, you know, I've learned to be vulnerable and ask help from friends that I barely you know. Like, hey, you know, could you? I need just a gallon of milk. Could you kind of bring it? I have kids and I cannot get out. Mm-hmm. You know, they throw a tantrum. I've got no way out. But to rely and be vulnerable to others uh, for help. I think that's been, you know, uh, a joy that, yes, I may seem single, absolutely, but there are people uh, that, that want to help when you're genuinely asking for it and be honest, but they will absolutely help. Do you feel like this is your mission or your calling, you know, why you're here? Is this, I mean, is that how you feel about being a foster dad and helping these kids? Uh, no, really, I've worked for companies that help children all over the world, you know, so I've worked for Compassion International, you know, I've seen, you know, I've I've brought in about 100,000 kids sponsored through that. Now I work for World Vision who, you know, they work in 100 countries. So for me, yes, it's been a passion to change lives, especially for children. So it's not just at home, but even what I do, you know, I flip houses on the side. Uh, most time I, you know, I get a bigger home just so I can have extra room for kids while I walk on it or turn it around in about two years, you know, so I've figured out how to enjoy what I do in my job, but at the same time, always being responsible, always knowing that there are kids that need help, that we can always uh, step in and say, hey, you've got potential, and I'm here to see that potential fulfilled, you know? Yeah, no, obviously. You know, a picture you'd posted on your Instagram, which is Foster Dead Flipper, um, I, I really just had me interested in talking with you, and it's a picture of you and and who will soon be your son. And uh, you're working on something, and you're wearing shirts that say "Families don't have to match" because you're black, <laughs> he's white, and yeah. um, and so 
I just thought, wow, that's such a statement as to what families really are now. Talk with me about what that's like for you guys. Of course, you know, it's, you know, when I, when I, when I decided to sign up for, to be a foster dad, of course, I knew, of course, they're going to, I mean, you know, predominantly it's, it's Hispanic and African-American kids that are in foster system. So I thought, sure, but I've had 11, I think nine of them have been Caucasian and the rest, you know, African-American. So again, it goes to say when a child is in need, is a child. It doesn't matter what color, what, what, you know, uh, families are families and they mess up. And kids always, you know, are, are the casualty of all that. So that's been really a shock for me. But on the other side is, you know, it's kind of really cool, you know, for a black guy to 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 to, to be a father to kids that don't look like me. You know, in most cases, you know, everywhere we go, you know, kids call me dad. And you know, uh, the other day we went in the Sam's Club. They cannot feed kids unless the parents are there. So. Uh, that whoever was serving and say, hey, where are your parents? You know, where, where's your mom? <laughs> so they said, dad, come on over here. And I showed up and someone's like, I mean, he, he could see the face like, <laughs> wait, this is what kids and you're black and they're calling you dad. How does that all add up, you know? But yes, uh, you know, sometimes, yes, we, we call the stay where we go. Or sometimes they're even treated a little bit different. And then they realize like I'm the dad and they're like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, so it's been a learning, but I, I, I usually do my best not to really look at what people think or do, but truly, you know, try to be a dad as much as I can, uh, for sure. What is it that you'd want the dads who are listening now to know just about either being a dad, maybe they're thinking about fostering. What, what would be the advice you would just give to every dad that you could ever talk to? Well, so uh, in the foster care system, you know, the you know, I think eighty percent of the foster um, are usually female, and we've got kids who they have no relation with dads, and they are looking for a dad figure, you know. So I think for me, that's why it's been maybe a, a little easier, you know, the having I chose to only have boys, and sometimes I would have girls, but if they were related to the boys I had. But it was always a joy and a fun to watch that as a male, they were looking out for, for a dad figure that they, they're just longing for. That sometimes the behaviors they had with female, they didn't have them with me and everyone wanted like, why? Well, they were just looking for a role model. So well, basically what I'm trying to get to is, when you know, they, we lack so many male. We, we lack male in the forces system that can really put a light can be a dad figures and these kids are struggling because they long for male you know people they can look up to them people who look like them but also people who understand them that can speak truth uh, to them so i would say man it, yes it's not about feeding it's not about taking them to bed and most of them it's just being a male that they can look up to and say, you know, I want to be like him. I want to, I want to be like him. But also, they tend to listen to us because they, 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 uh, they are longing for that male figure uh, in their life. So I would say, male, yeah, don't get scared. They, you, you can, you can be the best you can be to, to these kids. You can be a dad. And as I said, most times, it's not about their laundry. You know, it's about you being the example that they are looking for. Wow. Do you still have contact with this family who you met and put you through school and all that kind of stuff? 
Well, absolutely. I think everyone knows him as my family, you know. So once I went to school, uh, then they also said, hey, you know, we would like to have you as, as, you know, as part of the family. Of course, I didn't have where to go during, uh, when the school was off. So they became my family. So actually, 90% of my friends think they are my biological parents because mm-hmm. they're the ones I've, in some way I've grown up with. You know, they, 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 they travel over the world, so they come to United as well. So, you know, so in some way, yes, uh, I think I'm truly a son to them. Uh, and, I, uh, and, and, and in some way, they are my adopted foster parents as well. Yeah. So, yes, I get to wow. see them often. What's the final thing you'd like to share with everybody? Oh, well, I would like to share. Well, you know, again, if I'm speaking to the American audience, you know, uh, we get caught up in stuff, but I want to say stuff don't really, you know, don't really matter. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's the values, the principles that we bring in life to those that we love uh, that truly, truly change uh, lives. You know, for, for kids, especially boys and, and girls that are looking for a dad, and sometimes, you know, all we want to be is just to be there. It's not buying them stuff, but sometimes take them for a walk, for the, for the bike ride they, they are longing for. Uh, and the, the, those small little moments that, you know, that sometimes we, we don't get to do, but most times are the ones that matter the most. That stuff will always come, yes. They love video games, sure. But man, to speak truth to them, to see... Um, to to live a life that they get to see us and say, you know what, I want to be like my dad because my dad was good to people, my dad was good, and my dad was there for me, and my dad treated my mom so well, you know, that we uh, we owe that to the kids we bring in life to the world for sure. Uh, again, uh, I come from Africa, and stuff isn't usually what we have there. Most people are poor, you know, but I think. You know, being a dad sometimes comes through the simplest way that I would like to say to most dads, all dads, that it's the simple things, the sitting and cuddling, the hugs, the how many love you we say, and the ball we throw, and the bike we go to, most times is what truly, truly changes the lives of our kids. Well, I thank you, Peter, for joining us. You have shared so much. We've learned so much in this conversation today. And I'd encourage people to follow you on Instagram if they can. And just thank you so much for your time and for what you're doing for all of these kids. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, Well, a pleasure to talk to you as well. And what an honor to have Peter on. And if you'd like to follow him on Instagram, it's Foster Dad Flipper. Foster Dad Flipper on Instagram. And he's posting great stuff. You know, his story is one that it, it has. It's come full circle, right? I mean, he had a family welcome him into his life at a time that he needed a family. And and that one family being able to support him completely changed his life. And now look at the hundreds of thousands of lives that Peter has impacted because that one family took a chance on him. So many great lessons to learn in there. You know, they just want hope. I trust that you got some value out of this podcast. If you did, would you tell your friends about it? Share it with them. Um, Hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening so that these episodes will just download right into your device and you can listen to them right away. And if you would, share your feedback and, and rate us on whatever platform you're using as well so that we can spread this Positively Dad message to more and more people out there. 
We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, so if you'd follow us there, we're posting content for you there as well just to brighten your day and make it better. Um, And it's really an honor to be able to bring these types of stories to you. So I trust that you got value out of it. Uh, If you ever, you know, want to reach out and share an idea with me or you'd be interested in being on the podcast, just email me at james at positivelydad.com. I'm James Shaw. Until next time, we'll talk to you later on Positively Dad. Bye-bye.